Hello and welcome to the YPN Queer History Podcast. My name is Jack Meekins, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm a member of the Youth Pride Network Committee. The Youth Pride Network is the first LGBTQIA plus advocacy group in WA, and we're getting some first-hand accounts on historic moments of the Australian queer history. Today we're interviewing Finch Whitehead. So I guess we'll start off with just a bit about you. So where are you from, kind of? What's your background? Uh, I'm from the UK small place called Pelsoik. I was born in, in 1943 and uh, I came, I'll skip to Australia because I came to Australia in 1966 which is I always say when my life started. I was born in 1966 actually and I lived in Sydney and from there I became who I am today really my early life is um, just growing up and beginning to realise what it's like to be human and not really caring for it very much. But once I hit Sydney, I went to Sydney, I realised there was a lot more to life that I hadn't been exposed to. So uh, that's my story. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll delve a bit deeper into your story. What was the kind of thing that made you realise that, you know, there was an oppression around being gay and kind of what politicised you? Oh, Dennis Altman. Have you heard of Dennis Altman? Nobody's heard of him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote a book called Gay Liberation, uh, Gay Oppression and Liberation, I think was the title. Uh, he's a man probably my age. I think he's still alive. And it radicalised us all. It was a best-selling book in its time. And after reading that, I made the discovery that I was oppressed. That, um, you know, it was a bit of a shock, really. And I became very angry about it and joined Gay Liberation and uh, eventually uh, marched up the street in the first what turned out to be the Gay Mardi Gras in Sydney in 1978. So I'm a 78er, but I'm not officially registered as one. But somebody will remember I was there, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's me, basically. Okay. And But, of course, gay liberation didn't really work because it has an attraction, which is always an attraction for me, is it's unstructured, but that is also... Uh, a downside because if it's unstructured who's going to take charge you know so then of course somebody invented the other one which you had a branch of campaign against moral persecution <laughs> yes. yes so that was structured and that was uh, more more or less run by academics so they uh, they got it going so you mentioned the 78ers like do you want to go into more detail about, you know, what they did and what your kind of role was, like what was the happenings back then? Well, yes, well, um, we decided, we, it was the, to mark the uh, anniversary of Stonewall in America, uh, the riots outside the Stonewall in, in mm-hmm. uh, New York. And uh, I don't really know how it happened, but I've subscribed to alternative newspapers and stuff like gay newspapers and that sort of thing. So probably I read it in the paper and it said, you know, get together 
in Oxford Street, in Taylor Square. We'll meet in Taylor Square and we'll march down Oxford Street and our remit was to end up in Hyde Park, outside the War Memorial in Hyde Park, and meet and then disperse, right? So we marched down Oxford Street in on the way gathering people and uh, when we got to Hyde Park, uh, I don't know who, because the lorry was, uh, there was a truck in front of us and the truck was parked in Hyde Park but somebody decided, some radical queen decided, let's march up to King's Cross. So we did and it was getting to be quite late so um, by the time we got to King's Cross, there was a police uh, had turned up. And we didn't suspect this, but of course at the El Alamein Fountain, which is the other end of Darlinghurst Road, there were also police with uh, police vehicles. And they were obviously very tired and quite homophobic, as the police were in those days. And uh, so they they cut us off. So we marched down Darlinghurst Road thinking we could disperse, but we weren't allowed to disperse because there was a police presence there. And then behind us, they formed a wall behind us. So we stuck in Darlinghurst Road. And um, then the riot started, so-called riot, which I suppose it was. And uh, the lesbians read, led the charge, of course. Many people, I think it was 42 people, were arrested. But many people were thrown into the paddy wagon and went off to Darlinghurst Police Station. And I lived not far from Darlinghurst Police Station, so I spent the night sitting outside Darlinghurst Police Station waiting for somebody to be released. Uh, but they wouldn't release anyone uh, until we had bail money. So eventually somebody in the crowd outside the police station mortgaged his house and uh, got bail money and got everyone bailed out, right? And then, of course, we had the, the trial, so-called trial, and uh, it was... I was outside the police courts waiting for it to happen, and it was dismissed, um, don't really know why he just dis the judge just dismissed it. But uh, New South Wales was rife with corruption in those days. You know, it was like a gangster state, which you know probably still is. <laughs> but anyway, um, they uh, the, the judge must have realised that you know this was going to be more trouble than it was worth attacking. Uh, the gays, so uh, the case was dismissed and everybody was um, exonerated and the records were expunged, so that was how it all ended up. And then the next year, of course, they moved to summer and we had the first Mardi Gras, the first mm -hmm. Sydney Mardi Gras. Wow, yeah, that's quite, quite the story. What kind of changes did we see, have you seen from that? Like... Were they kind of immediate or did they take a while or you mentioned well, it? Yeah, I think there were gradual changes. I think really the biggest um, mover of change is uh, the fact that, not me as an example, but we are entertainers. Gay people as a, a species are entertainers. And uh, so, you know... 
We do have a value, there is a value, and that value is realised in the Sydney Mardi Gras because it's entertainment, and now you know thousands of people turn up to watch. So it's a night out. So, And I think that gradually, over the years, uh, because we now got exposure, we had exposure, and gradually over the years, they realised there was really nothing to fear. You know, so mm. that was it. But still, we need to be politically aware, and we do need to, as I said before, uh, realise our history, mm -hmm. because it's true that those that don't realise their history are uh, condemned to repeat it. Mm -hmm. So we don't want that to happen. You know? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Do you feel like with the passing of the, some of the legislature later on, that that reflected a genuine change in people's perceptions? Ah, that's a difficult question. I think in Australia, the uh, the law uh, preempted the uh, general population. The reverse happened in Britain. Uh, the law was uh, followed, the protests and things like that. So here, I think it preempted uh, change. So it's funny because the two things tend to, it's like a seesaw. Sometimes Australia's ahead of the rest of the world or Britain because Britain is where, you know, the origin of um, colonial Australia occurs. Um, but then uh, Australia's ahead and then Britain is ahead. And I don't really know why. It's one of those inexplicable things, right? Wow. Yeah. Of which many things are. <laughs> what, I guess, is something that you think that every young queer person should know about our history? Like, is there a part of it that holds like a special interest for you or something that you think is super important? I think just being aware in general that um, we come from an oppressed minority and because we are, and the, the term is minority, and because we are a minority, we must also wa always watch our backs. The advantage of, of the advantage we have over other minorities is that our parents, our relatives, generally speaking, are not gay. So, therefore, you know, mothers are very protective of their children. So hopefully, you know, come out. I think come out is the answer. Anybody who's still in the closet, for heaven's sake, come out. <laughs> uh, because uh, there are a lot more of us than even I realise or even I know. Uh, and it's not a cut and dried gay or straight thing either. There are all kinds of shades of grey. Come out make people realise that the only thing we've got in our... The only majority there is, is we're all originals. Our originality is the only thing we've got going for us. Yeah, no, that's um, super interesting. I guess in terms of what pride means to everyone, because everyone kind of has their own definition, is that kind of a part of your understanding of pride? Is it mixing with anything else? Right, this term's come up before because I don't... I'm, I'm pre-pride, say, mm -hmm. I don't... Pride's a new thing since I came along. I don't think I understand what pride is. Can you explain what pride is? 
to me, like part of that knowledge you said about coming from like a minority that's, you know, also comprised entirely of individuals, just having an idea of yourself and being comfortable with that idea and where it kind of fits in with different communities and different kind of experiences that you have. Like there are so many different kinds of pride, gay pride being one of them. Again, like to me, just kind of a a word for the feeling you have of yourself and being comfortable with that idea, yeah. being proud of that idea of yourself. Gay and proud. Mm. Yes, I don't know. I think we're going to have to rethink that mm. because pride does have a negative connotation too. So uh, I think sooner or later we're going to have to revisit the word and find uh, an alternative word. Right? Uh, but I'm quite, I'm quite happy with it at the moment. I do think that there are negative connotations and mm. you should be aware of that. You know. mm. Pride comes before a fall. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, that is interesting because it had occurred to me before that why would you be proud of something that's totally natural? Well, that's right. That's um, right. You're just a human being in the end. Yeah. And what we need is recognition of mm. our humanness, not our pride in being human but uh, just our humanness, mm. just the fact that we are. Mm. To me, it's like okay to be proud of things you've overcome. Oh, yes, definitely, yeah. definitely. And but to build an organisation, I think, you know, it was a thing of the time, mm. just like gay, gay liberation was a thing of its time, really. Uh, so I think pride is now a thing of its time, and sooner or later it will have to be superseded by the next... You know, somebody who's just this high um, will be the next person to coin the phrase, whatever it is. Mm. You've obviously had a lot of experience with the Sydney um, gay community that we've sort of explored. What was your kind of impression of the Perth gay community and kind of how is it oh, different? How has it changed? Yes, 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 yes. Um, I arrived here in 1989 and you had the Red Lion was going. That was the, that was the pub. And Connie's, of course, Connections. And they were the only two gay venues when I arrived, which was a bit of a shock because Sydney had had quite a lot of gay venues. I, I thought it was a bit of a sleepy hollow, you know, at the time. But I am amazed, you know, because 30 years doesn't seem that long to me. Of course, it must seem a lifetime to you. I'm amazed at the progress that Perth has made, you know, and that now, of course, we don't we don't count a, a, esteem a city by the number of gay bars. We esteem a city for other reasons, for the fact that it's multicultural, that it's multisexual. That's the next thing that's going to happen. So, and that nowadays you're welcome in most clubs and bars anyway. So, mm -hmm. why do we need gay bars? Also, we've got Tinder and Growler and all those other things. Is it Growler? Uh, <laughs> is that the name of it? I think is it Grinder? Grinder. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yes. I'm not sure I, I I'm not sure that's going to survive either, really. You know, because there are it's definitely got downsides. Mm. Even people who do it realise there are downsides, you know. Definitely, so. yeah. What role do you think 
kind of queer spaces will have going forward? Because obviously, like you said, we're now sort of welcoming most nightclubs. You know, where do you think queer spaces will exist kind of in the future? Well, I think queer spaces to me, and I don't know, so I can't speak for everyone, but to me, queer spaces are things like Perth Outdoor Group, uh, which I belong to. I also belong to Prime Timers. Uh, Prime Timers has one, to me, becoming quite a disadvantage in that it caters only to men. And it's, uh, it was of its time necessary, but I don't think it's going to be necessary for people coming forward. Uh, and I think it'll be... It do We do have to have meeting places. There does have to be forums where we can meet, where we can make discussion, where we can entertain. And I see that uh, Club West is being revived by Terry. Yes, yes. Have you been? No, you won't have no. been to Club West. <laughs> No, it's quite unique. So, yes, I met a couple of lesbians yesterday, actually, who do show there uh, in Club West, and they're looking forward to it enormously. One of them plays a drag queen, the ugliest-looking drag queen you've ever seen. Where did queer and the arts kind of intersect with the kind of history of um, kind of gay rights? drag is obviously... Oh, that's an interesting question. I, that's an interesting question. Well, of course, uh, queer art has always been around, mm. even before uh, we, we had a name for ourselves because an artist can only express what they're interested in, really. Uh, or at least they can only express in their way you won't get much out of them unless you allow them free reign. So, therefore, gay expression has always happened. You know, Simone Solomon, which you've probably never heard of, but his name came up again recently. And uh, he was, prior to Oscar Wilde, arrested in a toilet in, I think, something like 1875 or something, ostracised by the world, uh, but wrote the most, uh, painted the most ravishing paintings, like really beautiful paintings. I think, even though I don't think uh, that he painted men, he usually painted women, I think uh, the expression is definitely a gay expression. I don't think a heterosexual person could have done it because a heterosexual artist would sexualize the model, mm. right? Whereas uh, because he's painting women, he sees other aspects not besides their sexuality. So it seems to me that it's a gay expression. People have always expressed, artists have always expressed their sexuality, whether the they do it overtly or not. You know, I think one of the greatest artists of my lifetime was Tom of Finland. I'll always remember first seeing his drawings. Do you know Tom of Finland? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots of oh names to look up. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to be a revelation. No, he was a... a an amazing man. He's actually had a, a, a couple of films made about him, I think. But he was Scandinavian. But uh, he used to. He was the first person and the best to draw the idealized man. 
well, over-idealized, like huge muscles. And, uh, and, uh, and he, uh, I think he was an artist extraordinaire in a way. He was the epitome of sexual, sexual expression, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, you must look him up. And I think his name will probably live in history. Oh, well, yeah. at least in, I hope it lives in gay history. So do look him up, yes, <laughs> please. <Yeah. laughs> this has been the YPN Queer History Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the Youth Pride Network, find us on Facebook or our website, www.youthpridenetwork.net. I also want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to our friends at Grey, Incorporated, out in Perth and RTRFM, without whom today would not be possible. Thanks for listening to the YPN Queer History Podcast.